He said, you know, I just don't, I'm getting older and I just don't know how I'm going to survive in this new world. It's not looking good for me. I said, well, if that's what you're selling, yeah, you sold yourself for sure. It's not looking good for you. I said, but it's looking great for me. And he said, why? I said, because I've decided that to be the case. You know, you're going to buy whatever you're selling. And if you're the one pushing that this is going to stink, well, then there you go. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world. If you learn to weave a network of people who trust you, who feel heard, understood, and valued in your presence, there will always be someone willing to hire you, buy from you, or work with you. So what are you waiting for? Let's go Beyond Networking. Well, hello, Brian Miller here. If you're new to the podcast, I'm a former professional magician turned author, speaker, and consultant on human connection. And I can't tell you how excited I am to bring you this episode. Uh, Heather Monahan came into my orbit, I want to say a little over a year ago. I first discovered her on Cal Fussman's podcast, Big Questions, and I was completely captivated by her story. Heather grew up poor. Uh, She was on food stamps, single mom, and she managed to build a 20-year career in corporate America in sales. Uh, She won a ton of awards, broke through basically every glass ceiling, and became one of the very few women ever to crack the C-suite. She was the chief revenue officer uh, for for a major, uh, major company. And then her boss, the CEO, got ill elevated his daughter to the CEO position, and his daughter promptly fired Heather on the spot just immediately. And 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 in Heather's words and her version of the story, it was really just a, a grudge, just not enough room for two women at the top. So instead of wallowing in it, Heather picked herself up. She decided that to 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 choose herself to pick herself to to bet big on herself so she stepped into her fear she she screwed up all the confidence she'd built and decided that confidence was what she wanted to teach other professionals, women, men, everybody. So she wrote her book, told her story, uh, Confidence Creator. That book went to number one on Amazon, briefly knocking Donald Trump off the number one spot, which has always made me smile a little bit. And then from there, she built a speaking career, and, and, and she's working on her second book now. She's got a phenomenal, highly, highly rated podcast uh, on the Podcast One Network, which is also called Confidence Creator with Heather Monahan. Uh, she's just this incredible, wonderful woman who's full of insights, and and there's no woo-woo in the way that she talks, which, uh, you know, I, I think those of us in this kind of uh, this world where we listen to a lot of kind of self-help and motivation and inspiration and business advice, you know, it's really easy to fall into that trap of just believe in yourself and everything will work out. Um, Heather is, is she, that's not how she approaches confidence. And so in this conversation, we get into the weeds. We talk about 
obviously how to build confidence, where confidence comes from. Uh, she tells us her tons of stories uh, from from her career, but also stories. Uh, she gives us a couple of stories that that she's never told before in public, exclusive here on the Beyond Networking podcast, which is really exciting. Uh, I think you'll definitely enjoy those. Uh, we talk about her new book and not so much the book itself, but. Um, why she's choosing to go to a traditional publisher, whereas the first time she went the self-publishing route. Um, we talk about the the, the writing process. Uh, we talk about fear and how to uh, how to use fear instead of uh, shying away from it. Um, we talk about imposter syndrome, uh, how to pivot a conversation that you are not qualified to have into one that you are qualified to have and take control. Uh, is it possible to have too much confidence? Um, we also get into it a little bit, just just briefly for a minute or two, about her somewhat controversial TEDx talk she gave this past fall, which was all about the Me Too movement. The talk was called Me Too, uh, the Me Too movement, misstep or mistake. And I think you'll be surprised to hear why the talk was not as controversial as people think it uh, it is on on its face. And one of the biggest takeaways for me in this conversation is collaboration is key. And collaboration doesn't mean agreement. Collaboration means reaching an understanding where we can work together towards a shared goal and how confidence plays into that. And of course, stick around to the end for Heather's one big piece of advice for professionals looking to build their career in an increasingly un, uh, unpredictable world, how to build a sustainable career. And then, as always, all the way at the end, my three big takeaways from this conversation. You can always check out Heather's links at the show notes in this episode. You can go to beyondnetworkingpodcast.com and find everything there. And now, without further ado, here it is, my conversation with the lovely Heather Monahan. All right, Heather, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really, really do appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. So you and I, we originally met, I had reached out to you because I'd heard you on Cal Fussman's podcast. That was my first, uh, what what a fantastic introduction to who you are and, and your work and your story. Um, I want to start here, though. If you're at a social gathering or a cocktail party these days and someone comes up to you and says, you know, what do you do? What's your answer these days? What do I do professionally? Sure. The however you would an however you would answer that question. Yeah, so well, it's sort of an ambiguous question. So I would probably say, you know, can you elaborate on what you're asking me because I do a lot of things. However, if someone's asking me professionally what do I do for income, I would say I'm an author and a speaker. Great. So you're an author and a speaker and in in which one of those realms right now do you feel most at home? Definitely speaking. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> yeah. There's what? no, I mean, there's no comparison. I, I have, you know, 20 plus years speaking. So I, I only have two years writing. So I'm, I'm a rookie in the author world. It's a huge difference in around, you know, which one I'm more confident or comfortable in. Sure. So out of, out of curiosity then, what is it about writing? So why even, why even bother going into writing then if you're so, if you're so comfortable? What's, what, what are you hoping to do with your, with your writing? Because you have one book, uh, which is fantastic and has been so well received. Um, and you're welcome to chat about that if you'd like to. Uh, but you're working on a second book right now, right? The follow-up? Yeah, no, I'm done with it. Um, and I, it's my book proposal that has taken so 
much time. Again, I had never gone the traditional publishing route. This was my first time working with an agent and it's very intense. It's like writing another book. The proposal is its own entity. And it was my first time writing a book proposal. So I had to learn, you know, through error, mistake and pivoting and evolving it. And I'm on my 11th iteration. Actually today, it was just sent back to me this morning. And the agent said, this is coming along beautifully. Here's my one suggestion. Please make these changes and send back. So it'll be 12. <laughs> wow. I, I got to tell you that that uh, that makes me so nervous because I'm on my first iteration of a book proposal uh, right now. And I had also done the same. I had self-published my first book. And for the second one, I'm working on um, going to the traditional publishing route. Why are we doing this to ourselves? It was so like self-publishing was straightforward, right? Like you knew what you wanted to do. You did it. And it like you talk about speed to market a lot. You did it. For what reason are you putting yourself through this process of going self-published the second time? What, what are you hoping to gain from, from um, of going traditional publishing the second time? What are you hoping to gain from that? Sure. So one thing that I am crystal clear on is when I was in corporate America, I had a team of people that were with me. People had their own expertise. There was an IT team. There was a marketing team. There was, you know, there's all these different divisions. So I could tap different people when I needed help and expertise or contacts that I might not readily have ahead of me. When you go out as an entrepreneur, when you go out as a first time author, you don't have that network. You don't have that expertise. You don't have that contact and you don't have the team. But speed to market was critical in me moving forward and creating a product to sell, to drive revenue. When I first went out on my own, you know, fast forward now, two years later, I'm in a different situation. I have plenty of products to sell. I sell my speaking engagements, my online courses, my, co my podcast generates revenue, my book sales. So now what I'm looking at is how do I go to the next level with the book? And it's very obvious to me, and I know some people would disagree with this, that I want to try that route because I want to be a part of a team. I saw how challenging it was to get my self-published book into Barnes & Noble. I had to go knock on every door of the actual Barnes & Noble and meet the manager and then the general manager and the regional manager and pitch and pitch and pitch. And it was so time consuming because I don't have 50 of me. I just have me. So I need or I want to access a team of people who already have the, the people on speed dial to call and say, here's why you know we're going to do a book signing here and here's the deliverables and Here's why you're going to want to add this book to your offering versus, ha you know, having me do it alone. So did you actually have a team of people helping you this time with the writing process itself? Or has it mostly been now that the book is done? Because I know different people and I, I've got so many friends and colleagues in the industry. I'm sure like you did that. I've been able to call who've who've done traditional publishing a bunch of times. And I've been asking all these questions and some people write the proposal first and don't write the book until someone says, I'm going to publish it. Uh, other people do what it sounds like you did, which is write the book and then do the proposal to try to get it picked up. So did you have help with the writing process this time? No, but so it's my second book. So now I know I already know how to write a book, right? Because I did it yeah. once. So that it was easy for me to write the book. That was not challenging. It takes huh. time, but it, you know that I didn't feel bogged down or that wasn't a negative experience. So I wrote the book on my own and then I Googled Rachel Hollis's agent because I thought <laughs> if I want to get an agent, I want to have the best agent that's out there in that space. And so I thought, you know, while she's very different than me, she's very Christian, she's married, she, you know, she leans more that family religious side. I, I lean more the business side. I thought maybe that agent would be ideal for me because she's going to know the right people to call. And it was interesting. I got a hold of her agent 
pitched myself and she said, while you're not the right fit for me, you're actually a great fit for my partner who leans more on business than on, you know, religion personal. She said, I think I'd like to introduce you to her, which to me, that's still in the family of all the contacts. And so that's why I've been working with for the past six months on the proposal. And um, once I got into the proposal, I had zero experience with that. I had to hire a book proposal editor to help guide me through the process because I had never done it before. And it's, it's very lengthy. It's, it's quite a process. Um, I, I'd like to, to zoom in then on something that you skated right by, which was you looked somebody up who you wanted to make a connection with. You reached out to them. You had a lovely connection with them. It wasn't the right fit. They put you to someone else. That rolled off so easily for you as you just told it. And I'm sure as you went through it, it felt relatively just intuitive. That, I think, brings us into your content area, your your whole niche of, of confidence, right? There's a lot of people who would have thought, boy, I wish I could reach out to that person and never would have even taken that step. Where Where does that confidence come from to be able to reach out to that person and not to be deterred and to get keep making those connections. Where does that come from? That comes from my sales background. So I've been in sales and sales leadership my entire career. And I'll tell you that it's, it's, um, it's been interesting because the longer you spend in a field and becoming an expert in a field, the more proficient you are in it. So I, mm-hmm. I have never for probably more than a decade had any sense of fear or trepidation around reaching out to people because I had done it for so long. I started off in sales when I was 20, no, forget that. I started off in sales when I was bussing tables at a diner and then waiting tables as a waitress and then bartending. And, you know, so even back when I was a young kid, I was in sales, even though I didn't know it. When I got out of school, I went to work for the Gala Winery and that was my first quote unquote sales role. And I, I learned the ropes at a very young age and that's really been what's propelled my career and my success. So what I've done is by leaving corporate America in the sales lane, I've taken that sales expertise and brought it everywhere that I've gone and it served me very well. As an author, it served me well because I could sell my book into Barnes and Noble. As a speaker, it served me well because I could sell myself into GDA speakers. You know, as all these things, by being an expert or having experience in sales and the ask, the art of the ask and the lack of fear around asking, it really helps me to succeed in whatever arena I'm, I'm moving towards or drawn towards. So many people in our world talk about um, that fear of failure being, you know, that that's, it's a part of like everybody's keynote somehow, somewhere, that fear of failure. Why does fear of failure keep coming up and what is its relationship to confidence? Well, I mean, I think that fear and fear of failure is is um, part of everyone's concerns. Unless unless you're the person, and, and this is interesting because I've been there. If you're not challenging yourself to grow, if you're complacent, you're not feeling fear, right? You're just kind of feeling bored. So those people aren't feeling fear, which is fine. And I've been there. I was there in corporate America when I stayed in the same company for 14 years. I did get to a place where I wasn't growing, or I wasn't growing exponentially like I am now. And I didn't feel fear that often. But what I've learned now that I've been out of corporate America for a couple of years is that, you know, it's good to feel fear. Stepping into fear is the answer. Fear's not real. In fact, it's a guiding light. It's a green light showing you where you should go and take action. 
And I've stepped into fear nearly every single day since I've been out on my own because I'm so driven to blow my business up and be successful as an entrepreneur. It's really pushed me into fear, which has been an amazing experience. And again, I had tremendous success in corporate America and not a lot of fear around that space, but a lot of experience in that. I came out and as a rookie, I'm stepping into fear every day and growing so much, learning so much, changing so much. And it's such a great moment for me to look back on my life and share with younger people, please don't do what I did. You know, I could have grown so much more. I I had a good decade where I really wasn't pushing myself to grow. I wasn't anywhere even near fear. And that's disappointing now that I can look back. It's a mistake I will not make again. Mm. That complacency, that getting to a place where everything's just good enough, right? That's kind of the that that can almost be like just the 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 nail in the coffin of a business, right? When things are just good enough, because you can just get. I I know I think back on so many of uh, my friends from childhood and stuff that ended up in a job kind of in college or right out of college that was just good enough when they were 20, 21, 22, It paid the bills. They had no commitments to anybody but themselves, so it was fine. But they just then you get that tiny little promotion and a tiny little, and they just stayed the course in a job that that was just it wasn't fulfilling, it wasn't life affirming. Um, I want to back up for a second. We're talking about confidence; it's your whole area, it's everything you do. You've become such a. I it's really exciting to see someone who has nailed the brand right. Just going, this is what I'm going to be known for, and that's it. Um, what is confidence? Well, confidence to me, and this is my very own personal experience with, with it is walking into a room and being myself, feeling proud about it and owning and saying what I like, because I like it with no concern what anyone else thinks. And I say that because it's personal to me for years. I was in an environment where I did not do that. I dressed a certain way because I knew that that would help advance me. I kept my mouth quiet when I felt others might be challenged by, you know, me showing up as the real me. And I went through this process for a long time where I was essentially dimming my light to make other people feel comfortable. And what I've learned is that's the wrong answer. And while you might be making yourself small and and allowing yourself to stay somewhere, that's really not where you're meant to be because the more you show up as your real self, your true self, dress the way you want, rock ripped jeans or however you want to dress, come in with your loud mouth, which I'm very loud, you know, be whoever you are. But when you start doing that, you start gravitating towards opportunities, businesses, people that you are meant to be with that will help you, that will stretch you and grow you versus staying in a room with people who don't want you to succeed or who, or who just aren't your people in general. And, you know, the more I was not showing up as that big me, the more I was selling myself short. And it's a really personal experience for me around confidence. And I want to touch on something you said that, you know, my brand is all about confidence. Here's the thing. Two years ago, when I went to work on my own, I didn't know any of that was going to happen. What my expertise is, is sales and sales leadership. I am an expert in that. I've done it for over 20 years. I feel very confident in that. But to be known as a confidence expert now with just two years into this, it's quite shocking to me because it definitely wasn't it wasn't part of the big plan that I had. I I can't tell you how much I relate to that. My anybody who listens to this show knows and, and you know a little bit, but my background was magic. I, I spent 10 years as a 
you know, full-time magician, did backyard barbecues and then regional and then national and then international. Like I did well for myself as a magician, but I got yanked into the speaking world with just got lucky with a TEDx talk that blew up. And it yanked me into this world where overnight I was standing on stages where everybody else speaking at these conferences were PhDs and researchers and academics, like proper experts. And I was being introduced as an expert in human connection, whatever that means. And I was just like, what am I doing here? Why is anybody listening to me? And that first year, I felt the imposter syndrome harder than I'd felt it in my entire life. I never really felt that as a magician because as a magician, when I'm on a stage, there could be a thousand people, brilliant, they could be billionaires, but I was the only magician in the room. So I knew I deserved to be on the stage to do a magic show. Did you have that imposter syndrome hit you when you started being a, quote, confidence expert? Or how did you push through that feeling of, of you know, do I re like, I don't like, like you said, I've only been doing this for two years. Why am I an expert? How, how do you push through that? Yeah, I didn't have that feeling around being known as a confidence expert okay. because I just share how I truly feel. Uh, you know what? Mm. You can call me that. I, I would say you probably need more than two years in a business to be <laughs> considered an expert. That's just my personal opinion. And I'm happy to share what I am an expert in. So that doesn't seem to be a problem for me. But what was a problem or where I did feel that imposter syndrome and fear, tremendous fear, was around becoming an author for the first time, launching my mm. book. That was really scary. And one of the things that I did, I had shared with my family what my book was about just weeks before it was coming out. And they told me, don't do it. And you, you might get sued. And mm. you're not an author. You're not a writer. And I hadn't anticipated that. I had anticipated negative feedback from people that don't like me, you know, in social media, et cetera but not from my family. So that really sent me reeling. And I did something really smart. I called my editor when I got really upset and, and I was crying and I was considering pulling the book. And I called my editor before I took any action. And I said, and he's someone who had written 19 books and he's an expert in my world. And he said, listen, who did you write the book for? And I explained, I wrote it for a reader that you know was struggling in life and losing hope and, and wanted to create confidence and didn't know how. And he said, how does this change why you wrote the book? And I said, well, it doesn't. And then he shared with me, do you think I was ever nervous about launching any of my 19 books? I said, well, I think so, probably. He said, right. And I never was as vulnerable as you are. He said, all these things you're going through are natural. We just forgot to discuss them. We should have anticipated this happening. And this is part of the process. So, so many people will just back out now out of fear, Heather. What do you say when you get scared? And I said, fear is a green light that just means go. And that conversation was it for me. I decided I'm not telling anyone else about my book. I'm keeping it close to my heart. It, it's meaningful and important to me. I don't know if it'll be good. I don't know if it'll be terrible, but I know that it's mine and, and I'm feeling scared. And that, that means I got to get moving and move faster. So it totally changed the way that I was thinking. And he really helped me to move forward through that tough, that very tough time. That's great. And you touched on something there. I hope everybody was listening really carefully just now, because that was such an important point, which is so often the negative feedback we get is from the people we're not trying to do our art for anyway, right? Is that somebody who knows you like, and it often does come from friends and family. Uh, I, I find myself regularly saying this to younger magicians, aspiring magicians who reach out to me and they're like, my, you know, I'm, I tried to show a new trick to my family and they didn't like it. Where, oh, okay, well, first of all, they know who you are. They know you differently 
then the audience of strangers is going to know you, right? You get to create who you are for them, first of all. But second of all, you need to decide who your actual audience is, right? And for, for me, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this, when it comes to confidence, one of the reasons I'm able to seem confident in most of the things that I do is because I've been careful. I've gotten better over the years of only putting myself in situations I'm actually qualified to be in, right? Is that, I see you nodding. Is that what... What are you thinking about right now? I'm thinking about Gary Vaynerchuk. And when mm. he, uh, I had him on my podcast and when I interviewed him, yes. I was asking him about confidence and he said, well, I'm always confident. And I said, how? And he said, cause I only talk about and put myself into situations that I know I'm qualified to walk into. <laughs> so yeah. very okay. similar to what you're saying. Like <laughs> yeah. if you're only going to yeah. talk about what you really know about, you're going to feel much more prepared and confident for it. Yeah, don't don't start spewing off about things that you don't know anything about. And especially because that I, I think a lot of that fear, the only times I've really felt, you know, really nervous doing something is when the conversation I was having, I knew I couldn't and I couldn't answer a question about. Right. Like like you don't want to be talking about something or saying you're an expert in something that if someone asked you a question you didn't anticipate, you wouldn't know how to answer. Right. Or you wouldn't at least know where to go. Well, so I found myself in similar situations and this is and this is a chapter in my book actually. Um so I was going on uh, it was International Women's Day a couple years ago and I was going on an international news program which I had never done and I'm very much American and I know the ins and outs of business across this country across many industries. However, I am not knowledgeable outside of the US and I'm very self-aware. Going into that show, I get a phone call from my girlfriend a minute before I'm walking in the building. And she said, hey, do you know this lady that's interviewing you? She's going to come at you hard about, you know, the European markets and this and that. And I said, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't even think about that. And she said, oh, yeah, you better get your mind right. I don't know how you're going to handle it, but good luck. And so I had the elevator ride up there to say, okay, someone's about to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. While I know an answer to many of the, you know, that we'll have lots to talk about, there's going to be a moment she's going to ask me something I don't know. Who in the world do I know gets asked questions that that person doesn't know the answer to and is able to pivot and handle it? And I thought of Donald Trump and I thought he's asked questions all the time, regardless of if you like him or not, it's irrelevant. Sure. But I'm just talking about his strategy around when people ask him questions that he doesn't know the answer to. He steamrolls right through it and he answers a question he wants to be asked. So mm -hmm. I decided, okay, if she comes at me about Europe and different markets outside the US, I'm going to Donald Trump her. And I was really clear in my mind what that would look like. So we are in the interview. The interview is going great. We're talking all about the US, the gender pay gap. And she says, okay, Heather, well, that, while that's interesting, I'm also interested to know what the gender pay gap is outside of the US. And I had no idea. And I smiled at her and I knew in my mind, I'm going to Donald Trump her right now. And I said, well, that's a great question. I'd rather follow up on your last question, which is what is the gender pay gap in the U.S.? And let's, let's ask this instead. What are we going to do about it? And let me answer that for you. And I totally took the conversation a different direction and I did it so seamlessly. She didn't challenge me at all. We never went back to the question about outside of the U.S., and and the conversation and interview finished up really well. That's that's great. And I what I love about that is uh, you don't you don't have to know the answers to everything, right? You can you, you not only do you not have to know the answers. There's a lot of power that comes from being comfortable not knowing 
answers, right? Not not getting taken down by the fact that you don't know anything. And and because if if you think you do know all the things, you're probably going to get yourself into trouble, right, at some point. Um, I'm actually, that's something about confidence I, I really wanted to ask you about because I know coming from the world of entertainment, and I'm curious if this does or doesn't relate to corporate, um, coming from the world of entertainment, so many aspiring artists, young artists, uh, they, they are typically kids who were bullied a lot. Uh, so a lot of artists come from there, low self-confidence, uh, bad at social lives and things like that. Then they discover their ability to entertain, whether it's acting or magic or comedian or whatever. And all of a sudden they're popular now, right? They've got all this attention on them for the first time in their life. So they swing from no self-confidence all the way to the other side, which is I'm the most amazing thing ever because they've never felt anything like that before. And they end up swinging from no self-confidence right to arrogance, right? Right to ego. And it takes a while. You can see a young entertainer if you follow them for the first 10 years of their career from like 18 to 28. You can see them slowly get less arrogant or less cocky as they learn more about the industry. Is too, can you have too much confidence? Like, where's the line? Well, so I don't think you can because what you just described, that's not confidence, right? If someone's arrogant, that actually is an indicator to say, wait, hey, I am really low self-esteem. I'm not truly confident. And I don't really feel worthy of this. And I've been there myself. When you're trying so hard to be the loudest person in the room and trying so hard to get the attention, it's because you don't feel great inside. You don't feel okay not being noticed. And when you truly are confident, you don't need to buy for people's attention because you feel really good in who you are and the skin that you're in. So I would say, no, there's no such thing as being too confident if it is true confidence. When I see those people that are just screaming for attention, they're screaming, I completely lack in that arena. It's a great answer. I appreciate that. Um, why don't you just flesh out what uh, everybody would have already heard me go through the very two-sentence version of your background in in the intro. Uh, I know you you talk about this a lot, and there's so many great places that, and I'll link listeners to like your your interview on Cal Fussman and all other places that they can really hear you flesh out the full story in your book, of course. Um, can you give us the Cliff Notes version of how did you end up here? Sure. And thank you for saying flesh out. It's such a pet peeve of mine because so many people say flush out. And so I'm glad <laughs> that you did that correctly. Nice work. Uh, okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, so, you know, the cliff notes is I grew up poor. I was one of four kids, single mom. And I, the one thing I learned was always to work. And that was my strategy was to outwork everybody. I was 24 years old when I was given an equity partnership opportunity. I took a $25 million property, turned it into a $55 million property in under three years. That really put me on the map. Then I pitched myself for a job that didn't exist in corporate America, VP of sales of a media company. I was awarded that position. I was elevated three times. I more than doubled that company's annual revenue in a little over a decade. And during that time, I became the chief revenue officer of the company. I won a lot of awards and really did a great job within the organization. And when the CEO I worked for for 14 years became ill, he elevated his daughter to replace him and she fired me immediately. And at that time, the company's stock was trading double digits. Last I looked, it was at $3. The company's taken a turn for the worst. So however... I was left in my mind. I had lost everything. I had lost my job, my paycheck. I thought 
I thought I had lost everything. But it turns out the only thing they can take from you is your paycheck. And after I had a little bit of time to feel bad for myself, feel heard and sad, I took to social media, posted about it, and that started a domino effect that really launched me into a completely new business, completely new industry, and set me down the path of becoming an author, which sent me down the path of becoming a speaker, which sent me down the path of becoming a podcast host. It's just been, it's been a crazy couple years. I, I love how succinctly you just told that whole story. And what I want to hone in on for a second there is this, especially for young professionals and young people who are getting more and more concerned about how they're going to build a sustainable career in an unpredictable economy that's getting more automated, more divisive, more disconnected, it seems, on a daily basis at this point. How easy it is to see someone with your story and only see that, right? That cliff notes like, well, started off bad, got great, then things were hard, now doing amazing, right? To just see that as and not see any of the moments in between all of those day-to-day moments that actually make up a career like that, right? That that survivorship bias kind of fallacy that we have where we just everybody who's successful see it just seems like everybody's successful because we're not hearing the stories of people who aren't successful, right? Those stories don't make it out into the world. So one of the things I focus on a lot and I ask all of my guests to do at some point during these conversations is to tell me a story of a chance encounter that you had at some point in your career. It could be personally or professionally, uh, but a chance encounter that really impacted you or them or or both. Do you have something for us? So funny. So thank you. You'd sent me that note in advance and I couldn't think of anything. So I asked my son because he happens to be home today. I said, come (laughs) read this email with me. And we read it together. And I said, I can't come up with someone who by chance of chance encounter changed my life. And he said, well, mom, you've changed so many people's lives. And I wasn't thinking of it that way. And I said, oh, that's a great example. Okay, I've got it now. Thank you. So the first thing when he said that to me that came to mind, it was a year ago. I get delivery sometimes. Um, I live in a condo in, in Miami and I had ordered delivery for my son and I and the delivery man came and I'd seen him a few times before and he just looked terrible. And I said to him, are you okay? And he said, no, I am working three jobs. I really don't get to sleep very much. It's this grind. I just, I can't take it anymore. And I said, hang on a second. And I ran in my house and I got my book and I brought it out and I gave it to him. And I said, listen, I've been where you are. I get what, you know, being run down and feeling like you don't know which way to turn. Please, if you can try to read this book, take a breath and think about what changes can you make in your life to get you out of the situation because there are things you can do. Don't just give up and keep going down this road. This is not, you know, that's not going to be a successful journey. He said, okay, the same day I go downstairs. Again, I live in a building and there's um, a woman that works in my building downstairs. Same thing. She doesn't look good. And it was holiday time. It was around the holidays. And I said, are you okay? And I only did this because I just had this other exchange. And she said, I'm really hurting. And I said, what's going on? She said, I'm just, I'm not making enough money. I'm working two jobs, not three. And she said, I just feel tired all the time. I don't feel fulfilled. I don't know what to do. I ran upstairs. I got my book. I brought it down to her. And I said, do me a favor when you can over the holidays, whenever, please read this book and decide to take action to change your life, whatever it's going to be. But don't just give up and live this life unhappy and tired. 
that is no way to live. And I promise you, I know, cause I've been there. I really, I've been in that ditch. I've been on food stamps. I've been there. So I get it. And I can speak with experience. You have to take charge and take action and take your life a different road. And this is a roadmap for you. Okay. So fast forward, I think it was six weeks later, I come into my building one day and the woman's there and she's resigning. And she said, I want to tell you something. I read your book. And what I did was I went to both companies I work for and I told them both the same thing. While I like being here and I like working with you, I am not making enough compensation to have it be a sole income. I'm having to split myself amongst two companies. It's not good for my health. I don't feel happy. I need to make a decision and go to the company that wants me to be there 100% and is willing to compensate me fairly for that. I'd like it to be here. She did the same pitch to both employers. The, the place I work said no, but the other one said yes. And they more than doubled her pay or whatever it was so that she didn't have to work two jobs anymore. So that was a really interesting solution she came up with on her own, you know, after reading the book about how can I change this dynamic that I'm currently in. She was so grateful. It made me so happy, so proud of her. It was unbelievable. Fast forward a couple weeks later, that delivery guy came again. And wouldn't you know, he looked terrible and he was complaining. And I said, I have to ask you a question. If you're still not feeling well now, this is more than a month ago. Did you ever read the book? Did you ever sit down and develop a plan for yourself how you're going to change things? And he said, no, I didn't. I just don't have time. And that was a really powerful moment for me to see how incredibly in charge we all are, given the same tools that some of us will just decide it's not worth it. I'm not worth it. I'm not hopeful. I don't think that there's you know information out there that can help me and how some of us are willing to go all in and give something a shot and see the difference in outcome. Thank you for sharing that. that that's a fantastic story. I think we forget all the time how little it takes to set off that domino effect out there in the world to set the ripple effect in in you know in into place especially because you actually had the the uh, good fortune of being able to bump into these people again and follow up but if you'd had that conversation i i've handed i've th- I've been in like, you know, uh, waiting for a lift or I've been somewhere and had a conversation with someone and they were just, you're a stranger. People are so much more honest with strangers, I find, than they are with their immediate like friends and family because they're like, who are you? They don't, they're never going to see you again. They'll tell you anything. And people will do that. They'll bear their soul. And I've had that moment where I just dig through my bag. I always have one copy of my book somewhere just in case. And I just handed it. But I'll never see that person again as long as they live. I was in the middle of, you know, Austin or something. And I'll never, I, I don't. So how fortunate you got to follow up with them. But what a great point that you don't know the ripple effect that you're having on someone else in day-to-day encounters. And you don't have to have a book to hand them. You can simply, you could have simply, right? Like if you're someone who's listening, is like, well, I don't have a book to give someone if I want to try to help them. It can be as little as just that question, right? How are you? Right. That recognition of the humanity of another person, especially a stranger. Um, I, I think that's really, really powerful. I uh, I want to ask you on, on that point. You drew a point there about one person in the same situation, essentially, or a similar situation uh, down on their luck, decided to do something about it. Got a little nudge from the universe, came in the form of you and your book. Right. Got a nudge from the universe, did something. Someone else decided not to do anything about it. Nothing changed. I've been wondering a lot over the last year or so and asking all the smartest people I know, 
about the role of luck in success. I think it's really easy to see really successful people and see a lot of their success as luck. They were born into the right family or they randomly met. I get a lot of stories on this show where people say, you know, I was in the coffee shop and I just started chatting with someone and they happened to be the hiring manager at the place of my dreams. And that's how I ended up there. And so let me start here. Do you believe in luck? Yeah, I mean, I, I do, but they struck up a conversation, right? They took an action. Right. It's right. not like it fell in their lap. And when you told that story, it reminded me of, I was leaving the Gala Winery because I was being sexually harassed. I was in a horrible situation Oof. at work, even though I was the number one performer on the sales team. It just been Sorry. promoted. And I, I'll never forget, I was at an event with my then boyfriend. He was out chatting with a bunch of coworkers. I was sitting at the table alone. I saw a man sitting alone. So I walked over and introduced myself. And I said, hi, I'm Heather Monaghan. What's your name? And he introduced himself. And it turns out the guy was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And it turns out he was looking for salespeople for his radio station. And it turns out I went to work for him literally immediately after that. And he's the man that ended up giving me an opportunity as an equity partner at 24 years old and made me a very wealthy young lady at a very, very young age. I'm so curious now why that didn't pop into your mind when I asked you for a story of a chance encounter. What was it about that that, that didn't feel like That wasn't a chance like encounter. It? That guy's a part of my life forever. Like it wasn't in passing. To me, a chance encounter is, is someone who's, you know, here and then gone. It's not someone, that man's like, uh, oh, he's, he's fixed in my life forever. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah, no, just, uh, I'm always curious how people, that's why I do, like to deliberately leave questions a little vague to see how different different people take uh, take them. But that, I, I think you've made such a good point there though about the fact that the the that person happened to be there, that was lucky, right? That was, you know, the universe or whatever, right? Might not have been, you could have been somewhere else. But taking that chance on going up and saying hello and starting a conversation, right? That's, I think, is that the element of, of we all have control over our own lives that you're talking about? Yeah, you're creating luck. So, of course, there are great things that happen sometimes. This is a, another example that it's kind of lucky, but it's also the things you do for other people. I was on LinkedIn and I needed someone who knew people at NYU for something. And I typed in NYU and a bunch of people in my network popped up. And there was a guy, Scott, that I didn't know, but I sent him a DM. Hey, is there any chance? See that you've got contacts, NYU. I need some help. Could we get on the phone? We jump on a call the next day. He was great. He said, I would love to help you. I'll connect you to so-and-so. Okay. Um, I said, let me know if there's ever anything I can do for you. So we end up hitting it off on the phone. He said, the next time when you're in New York, send me a ping. Let's meet up for coffee. So I meet up with him. We hit it off. Fast friends. He said, I'm writing a book with multiple authors. Would you be a contributing author for me? I said, absolutely. I'd be happy to do it. I did a million things going on, but I really liked the guy. So I took some time. I created a chapter. I sent it in. He really liked it. He said, can you please come to the opening party for me? I said, absolutely. So I was really supporting him during all of this. Well, I was just launching my speaking career at the same time. And I was talking to him the night of the event about, wow, speaking business is really tough to break into and I'm getting frustrated. I don't know the right people. I, I have agents, but they're not doing anything for me. It's all falling on my shoulders. And he said, oh, you know, I know this person that's running this huge sales and marketing conference. Why don't I just send your stuff over for, you know, as a potential speaker, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing bad can happen, right? He sends it over. They loved it. They said, well, we'd actually like her to interview Sarah Blakely and Jesse Itzler live on stage. 
we're connecting the dots and we see that she knows Jesse Itzler, which I did. I had interviewed him for my podcast. So again, all these things came together, but they came together not just out of, you know, magic dust falling from the sky, but because I had chased Jesse Itzler down to become a guest on my podcast, I had flown to his house. We had hit it off and hung out one afternoon. I had supported my friend at his event, which is where I was the night I told him what was going on, which also happened to be top of mind with him because his friend was just saying, oh, we're looking for speakers. So all those things seem, and I do think some of it is luck, but it's also about what you give to other people showing up and you know taking action to push things forward. It's fantastic. I, uh, I, I, I love that. That, that was one of, the, I have asked dozens of people on this show about luck. That was one of the most thorough, succinct, like answers I think I've ever got. A lot of people get really tied into knots when I ask about luck. It's a tricky subject. I, I love the way you've, uh, you've, you've conceived that. And, uh, so I'm going to pivot just a little bit. Well, I'm actually, I, you mentioned something a little while back and I didn't want to interrupt. So I've been trying to hold on to it. You mentioned uh, in passing, um, in terms of the story, uh, that part of that, uh, not chance encounter, according to you, but to me, that chance encounter you had with the man that ended up helping you, you know, bringing you in and an equity partner and all that, that you were leaving the event. Wait, on hang on. Of, we, we never say helping me because I made him $30 million. So I think I yeah, helped him. But anyways, go ahead. You're, <laughs> I, you're, you're right. And I, I'm sorry. And I've heard you say that before. And I, I, I know that. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Um, that you you seem to have have had a very mutually beneficial relationship, if yes. anything. Yeah. So you mentioned though you were leaving that party uh, on account of sexual harassment, and you. I'm really sorry for that, by the way. And I, I like I I can't I can't imagine being in any situation like that, right? And so what I want to ask you about is your TEDx talk. Um, because it was you very publicly went through the process of leading up to it with your LinkedIn family and and uh, on your podcast, you talked about it and you were addressing the Me Too movement in a way that I think was surprising for people. Right. You decided to address the Me Too movement uh, by not so much talking about the issues of men with women, as we're hearing in the national conversation, but the issues of women with women. For what reason did you decide to focus on the other side of that? Because it's not fair or just to only look at one side. I Yeah, I've been sexually harassed many times in corporate America, not just that one time, many times. However, I have been bullied and harassed by women just as much. And I'll tell you, it's not spoken about. The follow-up and vindication process doesn't exist. Lawyers will tell you straight out, it's too bad it wasn't a man doing it, that you'd have a much better chance, you know? Oh, that's too bad. Unfortunate. No one wants to hear what really is happening with women stabbing each other in the back, trying to take each other down, bad mouthing. And for me personally, I became a person who could handle the guy that might try to sexually harass me. It got to a point where they stopped doing that because I knew how to manage the situation. I could see it coming from far away. I never felt that way with the women. I never knew who was really supporting me or, or you know, just a, a, a teammate or and who was actually going to stab me in the back and sabotage me. So I found the female harassers to be much worse than the male. Where does that come from? Why you're, you're not 
the first or anywhere near the only woman in corporate America I've ever heard say. I've heard almost every woman I know in corporate America has talked about that other side privately, right? That other side of that coin, which is the backstabbing and that. And I, I feel I get the sense, and I may be wrong, which is why I'm asking. I get the sense that one of the reasons women aren't talking about it is for fear of, you know, adding to the stereotype of women being catty and stuff like that, that it's already out there. Um, what can be, what, where does that, where does that come from? That backstabbing nature that you fear? And like, what can we do about that? I mean, it comes from insecurity, right? It stems from someone that's insecure. They feel threatened by the other person for whatever reason that is. And, you know, that's mm. not up to me to evaluate, but you know, on some level, they feel threatened. That's the only reason why wouldn't you help other people or be honest and open with them, right? Mm. Listen, I've worked with people that I don't really care for. I'll have the conversation and say, you know, while we need to find a way to work together, you and I personally just seem, we don't seem to mesh well. So knowing that, I'd like to have a really honest dialogue with you. How can we coincide together and make this a successful partnership? And usually when you have a conversation like that, you can kind of you know, move from, away from negativity, improve the relationship. Sometimes in my career, that's been a pivotal moment for me. And, and I've, you know, actually ended up friends with the other person, but kind of clearing that air and let's just both be who we are. Let's accept that we're not best friends, but let's find a way to support each other, work together in a positive way. And that has worked a lot of times. But when you are with someone who is very threatened, insecure, and is not operating, you know, in, in a, an honest way, it's impossible to to get through the, those situations. You just have to wait until the other shoe drops or, you know, like I did, I turned a blind eye to it. And I just said, I'll figure, I'll focus on my revenue streams. I'll focus on my team, my division. And that was the wrong answer. You know, over time, that woman definitely chipped away at my confidence. She definitely set me up, made my job very difficult, fired my assistant, you know, sabotaged me in so many crazy different ways. So, you know, the importance of why I did that TED Talk and why I chose that topic is to open up and broaden that conversation because two-thirds of women are dealing with that in the workplace and it's gotta stop. It was it was a great talk and I I I really I, I enjoyed it from first from the the craft as as a as a speaker, getting to watch somebody and you're you're such an like you're such a great speaker. Like you really you. You, I can feel like I mean I've never gotten to see you live. I would love to work a conference together someday. I'm hoping that happens. But getting to see you on the stage, uh, you connect so well, you're so inviting. Um, but it was also a just it like you said, it was it was a from I, I didn't expect that when I came in. I actually had no idea what to expect when I came into the, to your TEDx talk. We had chatted about it briefly a few months before it. And I remember when you told me what the name was, I remember just thinking, uh-oh, you know, like that, like just con like, uh-oh, controversy. Like, are you sure you want that kind of controversy? But we barely <laughs> knew each other, so it wasn't my place. Um, and then it, it really... It wasn't a controversial talk. I think it was just a controversial way, I think, of getting into the conversation by by grabbing somebody's attention. And so I really encourage people, if they haven't, I'll leave the link in the show notes, uh, like everything else, to watch it. Um, I don't think enough people have seen it. And I think many, many more people need to see it because it's, it's uh, if nothing else, it's a really good conversation starter about a, a, a really tricky subject. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I'd like to move into uh, into the last kind of question here. Again, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you have you have so many high profile conversations on podcasts and stuff uh, uh, lately. I've just really enjoyed seeing that. So I appreciate you taking your time for uh, 
for this little uh, little thing that I do. My pleasure. Let me ask you this to close out then. If you're speaking directly to a young professional these days, someone at the beginning of their career staring down this, you know, this unpredictable world that we've we've been chatting about where things are really tricky and getting more automated and less human, what advice would you have for somebody to have the best chance at success um, moving forward? In any environment, there is opportunity. And I did not know this when I was younger. And I want to share this quick story with you. You know, when we went through the last recession, I was leading this company in corporate America. We ended up laying off a third of our workforce because the CFO felt that's what we needed to do to, you know, ensure survival for the company. They cut everyone's pay, was cut by 20%, 25%. It was really this scarcity mindset that sales are going to plummet and, you know, no one's going to spend money instead of, and I have this, you know, clarity now, hang on, there's major chaos disrupt going on. Where is the opportunity, right? So if everybody's following suit and doing this, cutting all the employees, how can we pivot and do something differently and take a space no one's owning? Is there a way we can evolve the company? Is there a new revenue stream we can tap into? Because this is all happening, how can we evolve this business model? How can we evolve our people? How can we pick up better, more talented people during this time when other people are cutting people's pay, right? But really looking at at any scenario or situation as an opportunity, not a detriment. And I'm so grateful I've learned that lesson, you know, that's many years ago now, 2008, I guess it was. So I have this hindsight and clarity because I lived through that. And I want to share that with younger people that don't subscribe to popular thought that AI is coming and, you know, people aren't going to have jobs. Listen, here's the thing. Let's instead look at how is AI going to evolve the industry that we live in? Let's be forward thinking. Let's anticipate. Let's, let's look at how this could play out and where someone talented like me would fit in as a visionary to grow, expand this, to partner and align with other industries, other businesses. You need to find a way to get out of that popular muck you know, of negativity and rise above it and look beyond it. Because when you do, you're able to connect those dots, which will create a new vision, a new strategy, a new plan, a new industry. Who knows what you could see that only you can see from your vantage point, whether you're 22 years old or 42, it doesn't matter. Oftentimes I'm 45. When you get to this age, you begin to see things in a more static way where a younger person might say, wait a minute, there's a better way to do that. I'm going to go on YouTube and figure it out. So, you know, step into who you are, step into what your talents and your unique value is and show up as you and start looking beyond that general population negativity. And you're you're going to find your answers. That's great. People are going to lose their jobs to robots, but it doesn't have to be you. Well, it's right. not going to be me. I'll tell you that much. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess it's up to everybody if it's going to be them or not. If you're going to say right. it's going to be you, I had this conversation with someone on KTLA TV a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, I just don't, I'm getting older and I just don't know how I'm going to survive in this new world. It's not looking good for me. I said, well, if that's what you're selling, yeah, you sold yourself for sure. It's not looking good for you. I said, but it's looking great for me. And he said, why? I said, because I've decided that to be the case. You know, you're going to buy whatever you're selling. And if you're the one pushing that this is going to stink, well, then there you go. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Well, that's terrific. Uh, before I let you go, where should people find you? How should people find you? Apart from following you on LinkedIn, which everybody should do because you're awesome on LinkedIn. Yeah, and I can't accept people. LinkedIn's maxed me out. So all you can do is follow me there. Don't try to connect to me. It won't let me. It won't allow me to connect to you. If you want to send me a note, you have to send it via email and you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Heather Monahan. My website is heathermonahan.com. I have a free accountability partner program, which will help you achieve your goals. I have a free ebook. And if you want to catch my podcast, it's called Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan. Mm. We didn't even have a chance to talk about your podcast. I had so many other interesting things. I I love, love, love your podcast. And I know so many people do. You just crossed, what, 900,000 downloads or something? 900,000. I'm super proud of that. Yeah. That's bananas. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. I'm really looking forward to continuing to see what uh, what you do in the world. And I think this is going to be a super valuable conversation for everybody that was listening. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Wow. Okay. So Heather is awesome. But before you go beyond beyond networking, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, confidence comes from experience. When I asked Heather where her confidence came from, she didn't give me a new age woo-woo answer about just believing in yourself with all of your heart. No, she spent 20 years in sales, so she's confident in sales. But other areas of her life where she doesn't have that much experience, she's not as confident. So if you want to become truly confident and stop faking it until you make it, do the hard work, put in the hours. That goes for your personal life, not just your career. Second, Heather's story of giving her book and words of encouragement to two different people with drastically different results, that is the perfect reminder that we are all given daily moments to make an impact. But no matter how hard you try or how much you give, things don't always turn out the way you hope. People still have to take responsibility for themselves and take control of their own lucky breaks. It was a lucky break for both of those people to bump into Heather, but one of them took control of it and one of them didn't. So do your best work, show up daily and give generously, but don't get hung up on what other people do with it. That's on them, not on you. And finally, Heather dropped some killer advice for young professionals today. If you believe things are bad and getting worse for you, they definitely are. Success is awarded to those who take control of their situation, much like the woman in Heather's earlier story. There are always opportunities, even in the midst of bad luck. The truly successful are not those who avoid bad luck, but transform it into power. And that takes confidence. Check out all of Heather's resources at heathermonahan.com. Follow her anywhere on social media at Heather Monahan, and definitely listen to her podcast, Confidence Creator, where you may notice yours truly making a guest appearance in the near future. All of those links and more are in the show notes. This podcast is free with no ads and no sponsors ever. If you find it valuable, you can show support in a number of non-monetary ways. First, you can subscribe via your favorite podcast streaming service. Second, you can join our community at beyondnetworkingpodcast.com. Again, free to join, no ads, no sponsors. You can always leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, the most helpful thing you can do, 
share this episode with a friend, colleague, or VIP in your life who you believe would find value as you have. Use hashtag beyond networking on social media so I can personally thank you. And remember, every interaction is meaningful and every person you meet is important. I'm Brian Miller. This is Beyond Networking, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.